Now, we're not going to read uh, the text right now um, because I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is we're about to jump into the word, y'all. Right? We're getting a new word. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> it's going to be 53 verses. So I'm going to try a little something different. I saw my, 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 one of my men look at me like, what? 53 verses. That's right. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray together. Then we're going to sit down and then we're going to begin to go through our time of training. Okay, so if you bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for uh, you allowing us first to be able to respond to you in worship. Uh, we, we glory in the fact that you allow rocks to worship you by being rocks and the moon to worship you by being a moon. And we thank you that we get to give this certain kind of utterance to you that's different, uh, that reminds you of how you communicate, reminds you of yourself. So thank you that we get to shout out and say, we worship you, Jesus. You are our God. Satan is not. Our flesh is not. Our idols, we cast them down right now because you are everything. And so, uh, Lord, thank you for giving us that opportunity and that grace. Thanks for giving us the grace to want to say that, Lord, in the midst of our brokenness and our, and our waywardness, Lord. You've been so good to us. So, Lord, we uh, come before you just saying, Holy Spirit, would you speak uh, through me right now? Lord, we acknowledge as a covenant community that I'm a man and we need your grace. We need you to be speaking, not me and just my study habits, not any of our pithy sayings, but we need the holy word to go forth. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to experience and understand more about Christ? Would you give us a passion to know your word? We pray that no one in here would leave here dead in sin and separated from the life of God, but that the gospel would be clear and that you would allow us to enjoy you and maybe some of us become Christians even today. Uh, we love you, Lord. We pray uh, that we can enjoy you in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat, guys. All righty. So here's how we're going to roll. Uh, trying to figure out how do we do this beautiful passage if you're new to our body we are going through the book of acts and you see pastor leon is right now passing out bibles to encourage you guys if you need them uh we'd love for you to grab those uh the text will be on the screen but we also just like want you to follow those hopefully those good habits of having your word um, with you okay guys so um if you ever need a bible to take to the house when Bible at the crib and you don't have a Bible, let us know. We want to get you uh, the Word of God. So let us know that, please. We're, we're going through Acts, and, and so a couple things are going to change. First, we're not reading through the whole text, and then, we're, and then I go through the text and expose it. We're going to do something different. I'm going to basically read through the text and expose it all at the same time uh, so that we can save a little more time. Also, uh, just want to not go through the whole summary. What we usually do is we go through the whole summary of Acts to let you know where we are up to date. I want to encourage you to go to go online. You can check out the sermons and be encouraged online, hopefully, and get back on uh, this locomotive that's been going for some time. We're um, in the beginning of Acts chapter 7, so you got uh, six chapters to catch up on. We'd love for you to do that. Um, we're so glad that you're here to, to hear more about Christ, to hear why we um, sit here and sing, why we live in our community, why do we neighbor. Uh, this is we gather together to remind ourselves and to remind our community about, about Jesus uh, as, as one front. Uh, we go through books of the Bible because we just know left into ourselves. We will stay in those areas that are comfortable, that make us sound cool, uh, that, the areas that we like. And so what we try to do is say, although that's really tempting in the flesh, we're going to go through the scriptures and we're going to handle every issue that God puts before us because all the word is inspired by Jesus. And so we want to have the whole counsel of God. And on, on my watch, by God's grace as your leader, I don't want to be standing before Jesus. Him talking about why you only give them a third of the Bible. I want to make sure you're getting the whole word so, I, so the Lord doesn't uh, trip on me. All right. So 
that's, that's our posture. I just want to encourage you guys that uh, we, you can ask questions in our local community. We want people uh, not to just get smarter, even though what you do is predicated on what you know. Uh, we want you to get smarter, but we want it to lead toward worship, not arrogance, okay? Um, so um, ask questions that can encourage the body. If you have something specifically you want to share, come up afterwards and holler at me, and we can process some stuff, and hopefully I can give you some um, insight as God leads, okay? All right, so we're jumping right in to Acts Chapter 7, a lot has gone on. We have a book being written to Theophilus, one canon. It was actually Acts and Luke together, uh, but then it, got, it, it, then it became two books, actually. Uh, Luke wrote one book in the beginning, then it became Luke and Acts, and that's why you have kind of the beginning uh, of Acts being kind of the end of Luke, and kind of like we're telling the stories, just like the movies. See, all the stuff we do in the world, we kind of stole from the Bible, right? That's what they do in the movies, you know, sequels and stuff, they got that from the Bible. But yeah, so doing the exact same thing, he's trying to encourage Theophilus. Hey, once you be a Christian, let me tell you about Jesus. This dude is real. That, that actually, the, this, this guy who lived a perfect life, he died on the cross. He died on the cross. You can't find a body because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, showed himself to all these different individuals. Uh, not only showed himself to these individuals, where they realized, they, oh my goodness, we do have vision. We do have mission. God is real. But then Jesus gives them a mission and then empowers them by giving them the Holy Spirit. So we see that in the beginning of Acts. We then begin to see the works of these men basically valid dating that God had blessed them, that God had called them to be the people of God, uh, all throughout uh, the book so far, they hit some opposition, individuals um, trying to uh, hate and trying to make sure that they be deterred from the gospel message. They stand firm. They see miracles happening. God establishes his church. Church grows like crazy. We're talking thousands upon thousands of individuals who are now walking with Jesus because of the proclamation of God's word and his spirit, uh, basically giving the grace for people to become Christians. They begin to operate as a new covenant community, trying to figure out what does it look like to not walk with God. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, you're connected to Jesus and you're all these people, and they don't have the Bible like us. They don't have church history like us. They don't have all these traditions like they're just kind of like, okay, so now these new covenant Christians, what does this look like? How do we do this? Um, so basically, they begin that, that whole flow. And uh, we end up here after they experience more opposition. And now all of a sudden, the powers that be, the, the high priests, uh, the Sadducees, uh, the Sanhedrin, all those big powers that be are now kind of nervous because basically the gospel is working them out of a job at some level. Because they're realizing that basically everything that the priests were standing for and everything they were trying to hold dear and that they were protecting was actually realized and fulfilled in Christ. Okay. So we learned that last week. So all of a sudden, these priests have to figure out and understand that there's a new telos, there's a new focus. Uh, and so that's what we talked about last week. Well, now we're here. They're mad at Stephen, these powers that be. Uh, we talk about the Sanhedrin, which is made up of like uh, 70 Pharisees and powerful individuals. You got your high priest. You're talking about the, the most powerful people in the land. Uh, they're... They're wanting to persecute these guys because they're saying, what are you doing? Stephen comes up, gets in an argument with all these big waves from all these different lands uh, in the Greek area, right? The, the Jewish Greek people. And he gets in an argument with all these guys. And we, I made the suggestion that last week, one of those guys was actually Saul. And that's why you're going to see Saul end up basically being introduced in, um, in Acts chapter 8. And so Stephen gives this big argument. He wins the battle. Okay, you're talking about men who, who memorized the Pentateuch, individuals who knew the, the, uh, the Judaistic law. They were steeped in theology, extremely brilliant people. And then Stephen bumps along and proclaims the gospel. And they're like, what you doing? I'm about to handle this young buck. You know, we got all these different Pharisees and people come up to him. And he actually looks at all of them, proclaims God's truth, is filled with the spirit, and wins the whole battle. 
right? So you can you imagine? It's like you've never rhymed before. And you walk up to Eminem and 50 Cent, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit like, boom. you like, ha you know, right? So, so he, all of a sudden, some of these guys are kind of frustrated. Like, oh my goodness, like, I've done all the schooling. I'm supposed to be the man. I'm supposed to be awesome. This guy's making me mad because he's, he's revealing to us first that what he's saying is true, and that makes us a liar. So that's humbling, right? I've been in those shoes. Have you ever been in that shoe when somebody has called you out and showed you that what you were thinking wasn't true? <laughs> you know? And then what happens is your response a lot of times versus being humble Right. Oh, yeah, you caught me. And my wife catches me. You know, we, we all fall into those. We can get mad. We start defaming people. We start making fun of people. We, we do anything to get the attention off our brokenness. Right? So that's what they did. They got mad at Stephen said, hey, we don't like what you're saying. The crowd rushed, grabbed him. They brought him in. Here we are right now. Acts chapter 7. You're standing before the high priest. Okay? Now, remember, we talked about the high priest a couple weeks ago, probably three or four weeks ago. Who was the high priest? Remember who it was? Caiaphas. Remember Caiaphas? Thank you. Can you say against this? From Jesus. For, yeah, from Jesus' death. See, what I love about, about our, our, our holy scriptures, it truly is a book of history. So, so it's not like, see, I know in my mind, it's like we watch movies, again, Netflix. You, you know, you, you, you watch a movie and you think, okay, well, maybe this is a new set. So now Acts has all these new people. No, these are, this is a flowing deal. And so basically the dude that was with, who got Jesus killed, who was there, is in, this, is in this pericope. He's in this story. And he's still trying to understand, oh, my goodness, I thought we killed that guy. I thought we got rid of him. But what's interesting is we got rid of him. We killed him. We crucified him, put him up there, mutilated, stabbed, all these things. We watched his broken, messed up body. Right, barely can recognize him, dead, mutilated, and yet, all of a sudden, you have 30,000 at least individuals who are now saying, we love Jesus, and we will die for Jesus. Well, that's weird. That's not the way I plan when I murder somebody. I don't plan for the ministry to grow. Or maybe I plan for maybe 15 or 20 nutballs to say, okay, I'll still worship the dead dude, but 30,000 or more? Right? Where the scriptures are saying that basically Jerusalem, that now you got all the big wigs are coming in and saying, what's going on here? That's where we're at. And that's what happens in verse, in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 7. Excuse me. So we start with Caiaphas. Um, and the custom here, guys, if you open up your Bible and you look at uh, verse 1, a custom is to give charges, right? You give charges and then you actually give the person who has the charges a chance to respond. So that's what's happening here. Is they, they put charges before this guy and they're saying, so what you got to say about this? So this gives Stephen an opportunity uh, to share his heart, okay? And so historically this is called a defense, like Stephen's defense. And I love how uh, it starts off. It says in verse 1, and so what I want to do here, I'm going to try this. This is a new deal. I'm going to try uh, just to, we're going to, I believe in the efficacy of Scripture. I believe that God's word is more powerful than me just trying to have a lot of pithy sayings up here. And so what I want to do is I want to read through God's word slowly, make a few comments, hopefully explain a few things, and I'm hoping that will minister, minister to us as it did to the first century Jew who was in on this time, okay? Let's see how it works out, okay, guys? So, so they give these charges, and basically, if you looked at the, uh, the passage before in your own time, hopefully you've been studying it, Mac Avers. If you're visitors, go ahead and look at that, pa- that passage before. It'll help you see uh, that basically they had charged uh, Stephen for basically four things, against Moses, against how he treated the law, against Yahweh himself, and against the temple. Okay, this guy was in trouble. 
Okay, the, the major aspects of what it meant to be a Jew, he just come against all of them. All right, so he has a lot of work to do. And it says in verse 1, it says, And the high priest said, And be thinking, asking yourself, what questions would this have a Jew, a Jew asking? And then you want to take that, that interpretation and ask yourself, what questions is our community asking? Right? And does this text answer some of the questions in our community as we learn what those questions are based on the text? Okay? So I want you to be thinking about that. And the high priest said, are these things so? Right? Here, give your defense. And Stephen said, verse, verse 2, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Now, I love this. So they asked, give a defense. You know what this brother did? This brother tells the Judaistic history. Right? He goes through the history. I'm thinking he could have made it real simple. And they said, is this so? He could have said, yes. Right? This brother said, oh, you know what? Four score and seven years ago. So he says, so, so he starts with the Judaistic history. And look what he does. He breaks it down, right? And first, and just, it's a beautiful passage, guys. Because notice what he does here. So he starts with Abraham. Okay? And says, before he lived in Haran... All right, so he talks about God. Now, notice that the God of the glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Was Abraham supposed to live in Haran? No. Right? Where was he supposed to go? Right? We don't know, right? He said, go, go to the land I will show you. Remember? Right? So he's supposed to go to the promised, he's supposed to go to the, the promised land. Remember? He's supposed to go until God told him to stop. Right? Now, that's key. It says in verse 3, And said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Right? Then he went, verse 4, Out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. Right? Now, And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Isn't that interesting? So, how did, how did Abraham get to the land he was supposed to get to? What does the scripture say? No trick questions. What does the scripture say? God moved him, right? It's interesting because have you ever thought, I, I, I was thinking, I was praying about this text. I was like, how did God move him? Have you thought about that? Because it's interesting that, that, that the writer wanted to make clear that it wasn't that Abraham left, but God had to move him. I think there's a point here. So God moved him from there into this land in which you are now living, yet he gave him no inheritance in it, this is the Lord, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child, verse 6, God's, and God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in the land, belonging to others, told them, this is what's going to happen. Y'all going to roll around in the land, and he says, and, would, and who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years, you're going to be in, in slavery, but I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, making a promise with you, you're going to be my people, the way you're going to know you're my people, through this circumcision, my people are going to be circumcised, these are the people who are going to hopefully bring a light to the nations. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac at the end of the verse and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob uh, of the 12 patriarchs. So he starts by saying, here's how things started. From day one, what is he showing us? 
He's showing us first that God's goodness and mercy, right? That God is this good and he's merciful and he chooses Abraham by grace. But notice that also God has always been so good and merciful and gracious. You know why? Because he chooses Abraham and off the jump, Abraham is disobedient. From the beginning. Hey, I want you to go, Tammy, to the land I will show you. And she go buy a house on Burns. And he like, I didn't show you the house yet. What are you doing? And so the tech, the author is wanting to show you and I from the beginning that from the beginning of time, even when God grabbed his people and said, you're my people through Abraham, he goes off and automatically God had to be gracious and say, oh, you already settled somewhere that I not tell you to settle. So I'm going to move you to where I need you to be because I'm good and I'm gracious and I'm merciful. And guess what men are? Disobedient and fickle. And we think we know everything. That's how the narrative starts off. He continues on. Verse 9. You got me here? And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph. So he starts off. That's Abraham's journey. Now where he goes? Goes to Joseph. So let's look at Joseph. Can you imagine? He's talking to these these very astute Judaistic people. He says... And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph. So notice that. How do you start? Is they jealous of Joseph? He didn't have to start a narrative like that. What's his point there? Oh, man, already. God raises up prophets. And what happens? What do the people think about them? They're haters, right? They're jealous of Joseph. They sold him to Egypt. But God was with him, verse 10, and rescued him out of all his afflictions And gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him rule over Egypt and over all his household. Verse 11. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan. And it says, in great affliction, and our fathers could not find food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on his second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred. Okay, you got the story, guys? 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, in his, and he and, his, and our fathers. And verse 16 says, And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. So Stephen moves on to Joseph, verses 9 through 16. And what do we see here? We see another example of God being gracious and merciful and kind and man resisting God's will again. And we see man resisting God's will now because we see God saying, hey, Joseph, by God's grace, I'm going to choose you. And then all the other brothers say, no, this is horrible. We're going to put you in a ditch. We're going to lie to daddy, right? And then he's going to have all kind of crazy stuff happen. And in fact, um, he, he's put in a ditch. He lies. Then he, he goes off and he's with Potiphar's wife. He gets into prison. Right? And remember, he helps the guy in prison, hooks him up with a dream, says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be alive. Hey, I hooked you up with that dream. You're going to be alive. When you get before your king, remember what I did for you. Did that guy remember? Not at all. So God is trying to show us again, oh my goodness, what's consistent here? That people resist God's will and in the midst of us being disobedient, resisting God's will, not listening to God... God is faithful and gracious and just. In fact, God used the sin of these people to deliver his people. 
That's how gracious he is. Not just he just said, you know what, I'm going to be gracious to you. He said, I'm going to take the evil that you did, and I'm actually going to use that to place this man in the place so that he can deliver all you guys. Because, in fact, God is more concerned about his promise. Because he knew that if he didn't save these individuals, then the seed would be gone. But God's seed can't be gone because God is faithful. You see that? So, man, Stephen, again, he's talking to these leaders. He's saying, guess what? There's another example. Joseph comes on the scene. God is totally speaking through him. And the people God didn't recognize. But God has shown himself to be faithful, gracious, and just. He validates that he's God. And he validates that this is his man by using him. But yet the people totally deny it. We move on. You see the theme here? Who's next? He goes on. It says... Now we're going to talk about Moses. Verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, listen to the word of the Lord, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Verse 18. Until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Right? And so remember the prophecy. So you've got to be encouraged now. You know, if you remember what God had already told them way back in the day, they had written that down and said, no, they said this is going to happen. We've got to remain. We've got to know God is faithful. God is, God is just. God is gracious. Oh, not only did he say it, but then he's already demonstra- demonstrated it twice to the people of Israel that his, that his attributes are true. Right? And you know how, how God is, right? When he starts showing you that stuff, it's almost like God is going to put something in your life to make you have to remember that. Right? Now, remember, I, 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 was, but I was gracious last year. So don't worry now about what you're going to eat. He just does that. He doesn't do that in your lives. He didn't do that in your life. Look what happens here. It says, he dealt shrewdly, verse 19, with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. God's grace again. And he was brought up for three months in the father's house, in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his word, as scriptures say in deeds. Verse 23 says, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. Isn't that deep? Now, you go back to the text. Go back to uh, uh, Exodus. You don't see that. That's a little commentary there. He's trying to already show us. See, hey, this guy was was the rescuer. He was going to be the guy who was going to deliver. And actually, that whole story of him saying, hey, don't kill each other, was actually uh, a typology of what, what Moses was trying to do in a big picture through God's grace. Right? And look what it says. But they did not understand. Verse 26. And on the following day, he appeared to them. And as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Man, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? Verse 27 says, But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? You ain't know I knew about that? Verse 29, at this retort, Moses got nervous and scared. Man, he knew I married somebody. This ain't right. And became an exile in the land of Midian, the scriptures say, where he became the father of two sons. Verse 30, now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. So he's telling the history again. Why is he telling the history? Because he wants to continue to help you understand something. That God was in this. God was validating his people. He was pointing to us who his people are. Clear as day. 
The scriptures are clear. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came a voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Verse 33 says, then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, uh, uh, from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groanings. I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you ruler and judge and a judge? You see that notice? Who they rejected. This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of an angel who appeared to him in a bush. Is he trying to make a point? Yahweh sends him as redeemer, right, and ruler, trying to bless you, sends him supernaturally through an angel in a bush. Right? You see what he's trying to say here? Right? This wasn't his own dream. It wasn't bad pizza. You know, it was an angel. Right? And it says here in the scriptures, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation, verse 38, in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Verse 39, our father refused to obey him. If you can circle that, that's huge. Our father refused to obey him, but thrust him aside and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. So it's interesting that he uses the play on words again. Didn't we just hear something just like that? Who did they thrust aside in the beginning? They were fighting, they thrust aside Moses, right? So now the play on words is the same absolute thing, but now the people are Egypt, right? They thrust aside to go after Egypt. You see that? You see that? He's making a point here. Saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will, not, who will go before us, right? I don't want a true living guy who doesn't sleep, who doesn't get tired. I want you, dude, to make somebody. That's how we are, right? And then we're so weird, we're comfortable with that. I know Ethan made him, but I'm going to worship it. <laughs> you, see the, you see the folly in that? But that's how we are, right? As for Moses, I'm sorry, in verse 40, just to let you know where we are. Make for us guys who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days because they, they, they weren't trusting the Lord. He was off talking to Jesus. And they was like, you're taking too long. We're going to make a calf. And offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. You see that? All of a sudden, we get to the nut, the, 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 the rubber meets the road. They were rejoicing in the works of their hands. That's how we are. We're much more comfortable in saying, look what I did. Look what I created. And it says, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the books of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You see that? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephon. The images that you made to worship. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, you guys, you guys have created your own gods and you've chosen to worship and, and, and care for those and, and, and basically build intimacy with those things more than the God of the universe. You're, you're, you're sacrificing to these fake things. And I love, it's interesting that he talks about Moloch and Rephael, because that's not even during this time. 
He's that's, that's, that's further down the road in Old Testament history. He's basically saying what you started in the wilderness, now the fruition of it is here you guys in Babylon worship and created things. That's his point. Verse 44, it says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. According to the pattern that he had seen, our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So, what's going on there? You see a theme? Highlighting again God's goodness, his mercy, and his grace, right? But also highlighting man's disobedience. Just the, 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 the continual refusal to say, man, God's in that. Let me respond to God. Let me see when God's in something and God give me the grace and the humility to respond. But oh my goodness, look at God's character. He's so sort of anger. He's so desiring to love. He's so merciful. He didn't destroy all these people, but yet he, it says in verse 45, look what happens in verse 45. He's saying, you guys in verse 42 to 44 have created things to worship. You're worshiping things that can't move. You got to take them down when you want them to go to sleep. You got to go carry them inside when it's raining because they'll get moldy. Like that's what you're worshiping. He's like, and even though you're doing that, what I'm going to do, look what he says in verse 45. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. I'm going to still, in the midst of that, give you the land. In the midst of your sin, I'm going to still allow you to conquer and get the land because I promised it to you. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of you serving creative things, while you're doing it, not after you repent, not after you stop, while you're doing it. I'm going to fulfill my promise. So, man, we see Joseph, right? We see Abraham, right? We see Moses, and we see God continually showing us man's frailty, our, our propensity to sin, our propensity to be evil, our propensity to say, I want to be my own God. And then when God reveals someone to us, our propensity to go, no, I don't want that. I, I, I want the fake thing. I want the thing that really doesn't matter. Do we struggle with that? Family. Do we struggle with that? Where God is, shows his grace. He shows his goodness to you. Plain as day. Over and over again. He does that in my life. And then we still, we settle for those plastic pearls. He didn't stop there though. He says, man, you rejected the deliverer. He's talking, can you imagine Stephen is talking to you? See, we don't get this. First century Jews. We don't get it. We don't get how you can be so steeped into cultural history, how you can have read over and over again the history of your people thousands of years. We don't even understand that in this young country. And he's telling them in their history, the history that they know that they teach every week. And he's saying, when you look at our history, we have resisted God consistently. And he's going over it. And can you imagine what this is doing to their hearts? They're like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Why are you, what are you saying? What are you doing? Who are you talking about? And they know it's true. But if it's really true, then what have I been doing all my life? And so they're getting mad and they're getting upset. That's what truth does. The gospel is offensive to hard hearts. He says, you, you, Refusal to obey and to heed God's word. You turn to idols and fake things. But look what happens here. I'm blown away. The scriptures want to show you in verse 42 
God is gracious, but look, his patience does come to an end. At some point, God is like, you know what? I'm tired of this. It's ridiculous. And that's what he does, right? When he sends them off into Babylon. That's what the scriptures are talking about there in the scriptures. In verse 42, it says, but, but God was merciful. But look what it says. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. He got to the point where he's like, go ahead and do it. And now it's interesting. When you hear those words, I want to propose something to you. When we think of um, God giving us over to something, sometimes we can think there's like God's here, I'm here, and the, the plastic, fake, nasty thing is here. And it's kind of like we kind of choose a Lord or not, right? And I, I want to propose, I, just think, I just don't think that theology holds weight in my conviction because I don't think it gives enough glory to God. I will propose to you that, 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 when, we, that when sin, when, we, when this world basically became a big old graveyard and we were just basically dead people walking without Christ making us alive, I want to propose that basically the draw, your draw is always to be sinful and to be self-destructive and really nasty and evil. And you know what's funny? It's Hollywood gets it. That's how you get these movies, these weird movies where people are just doing ravaged, horrible, like, like sick twisted things because they're showing you like this is how people are so why aren't we doing those things well there's a lot of evil in the world you know people are doing horrible things to babies and and, and there's wars and there's all kind of evil in the world but I want to propose to you it could be way more evil if it wasn't by God's grace if God's hand wasn't over our world and saying okay yeah I'm going to let Satan do that so he can sanctify the, so I can sanctify the saints and I can heap judgment on the unbeliever but man I can't let it get too wild out because I love my people and I know it will be chaos if I let evil people really be evil and so I'm proposing to you although there's crime and petty theft in our community that ain't nothing if God took his hand off our community we would be doing things that you couldn't even imagine and we'll be doing it to each other but see we, we think too highly of ourselves you think you're pretty good no that's God's grace so I want to propose to you the more theological framework that, that seems to be more biblically astute is it's almost like this beautiful wind tunnel. And what sin does because it's, it's evil and because we're evil, it's, it's bringing you in and it's drawing you and it's trying to blow you in to suck and destroy you. And the only reason you haven't gone through that tunnel is because God got your hand. He just has your hand. He's just holding you. He's just holding you. Yeah, I got you, baby. I got you. But what happens sometimes is the Lord says, you know what? I got to let you experience evil in some of its potency. So I'm going to let you go. I tell you, woe to the man or woman who doesn't experience biblical conviction and healthy guilt when they sin. He goes on. He gives us one last example, guys. Look what he says here. He gives him the promised land and in verse 45 the end he says, so it was until the days of David. We're going into verse 46 and I know it's hot in here and we're going to go home. David, who found favor in the sight of God. So you know what? He says, so it was. Y'all was wilding out. Y'all was crazy. All those days, all those books we wrote in the Bible up to David. But look what he does here. He gives a little error. He says, you know what? Because I, again, my grace, I grabbed David. David became a king. We was off the chain. We were ruling things. But even he crazy. Right? 
It says, David found favor in the sight of God, verse 46, and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. And I love God here. This is cool. But it was Solomon who built the house for him, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. So here's his point. He's like, you know what? That was cute. Oh, David. <laughs> Thanks, Solomon. Thanks for wanting to build me a house, but I'm God. Right? That's cool. And I appreciate the gesture, brother, trying to show me your allegiance to me and all that good stuff. But you forgot. See, um, I invented houses. You know, I invented the world. You can't contain me. What are you doing thinking that, that, the, that the glory of an incomprehensible God can remain in a building? And he says... As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Well, you're going to be looking like LeBron's, what, 39,000 square feet? What's it going to be? I'm God. It's going to be the United States? Well, I'm God. What kind of house are you going to build for me? Or what is, the, what is the place of my rest? Which, praise the Lord, it's in us. Hallelujah. Did not my hand make all these things? You stood, now look at this. So he's talking, he's trying to help him understand, like, guess what? He gives, I love this. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, right? As your fathers did, so do you. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? I love, you know, you know you're in trouble when you got to ask a question like that. He's like, you know what? The easier answer is to ask you, who did you not persecute? You know what I'm saying? That'll that'll give us more time. Who did you not persecute? You haters. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he brings us to a close with Joshua and David and Solomon, right? And he's saying, guess what? First of all, don't dwell in houses. I'm too big. You can't contain me. You shouldn't be trying to contain me. And then then what he's doing in the conclusion is here's this conclusion out of all those different individuals that he just brought up. He's saying, guess what? I hope you see the conclusion is actually you're asking me to give a defense. And I want to propose to you that the history of of our nation is saying you need to give a defense. The history of our nation is saying you need to give a defense of why you are not submitting to the king of kings. Of why you have not looked at all of history and understand that you realize that all the things that you are holding dear to is now fulfilled in Christ. That now the blood of Christ is the blood that we shed. You don't have to shed your own. You don't have to shed the blood of a bull. That you don't go talking about living in temples and trying to hold a temple because God is the creator of all things. And his glory cannot be contained. He is over all things. And that's why he said, make disciples of all nations so the world might worship me because I'm worthy and I live everywhere because this is all mine. So he's saying, no, 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 you you are asking me to give a defense? No, no, I'm asking you to give a defense. You are the one who's actually on trial, as it were, standing before a holy God, telling me that you murdered Jesus and you don't realize that that is an issue. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying. He's saying, no, 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 see, I am celebrating the Mosaic tradition. You are disparaging it, as it were. You are the ones. He's saying, can you imagine these guys are hearing this? This is not just me giving you commentary. This is what they're hearing. You know why I know? Because they're going to kill him. 
He said, you guys are the ones who, who, who've done Israel wrong. You're the ones who haven't protected Israel like you're supposed to. You're the ones who've looked at God's people right in the eyes and you murdered them. But you might be thinking, they didn't turn our hearts. I get it. But what has that got to do with me now, Eric? Well, guys, I want to encourage you. This passage is saying that God has shown throughout history, throughout history, that he has always been for Israel. And it was Israel that turned their hearts. That's what he's saying. That's what Stephen is saying. It was Israel who turned their hearts. And God has always, story after story after story, you've seen it, you are now witnesses. God showed up, he was faithful, he delivered, he protected, he fought for them. And every time men denied him, disparaged him, did evil things, worshiped fake things, did not come to their creator. So, what message should they have heard? You can hear two messages there, right? There's a couple of messages you can hear there. What are the questions that the Jew is asking? What makes them get so mad and frustrated? Can I encourage you guys? I think one of the messages, I think the message that Stephen wanted them to hear was a message of repentance. He did not want them to end mad. He did not want them to end going, man, he really told me off. Sometimes we read the pastors like, hey, y'all, we're going to read Stephen now. Watch how Stephen bring it on these cats. And we look at it like that. No, this is a broken man who's pleading for Israel to understand God's truth so that they might come to know Jesus and become Christians. That's his point. His point is repentance. His point is that he wants you to reconcile with your father. That's his point. So this is actually a passage of encouragement. He's wanting them to see that, oh my goodness, he wants the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin as a whole and the high priests and, and all these individuals to go, oh my goodness. I look at that history, man. God continues to pursue and we don't deserve it. Oh my goodness, God is slow to anger. Look at that, he's slow to anger. He never just, he could have destroyed all of us during that time. He protected us. Oh, okay. He's he, Man, he's abounding in love. Look at the love of God as he fulfills his promises with the evil people who totally turn their back on him. I've had to have in my life, and that's why I cry so much up here, because I've had times where I'm just like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do my own thing, and then God still blesses you. Have you ever had that happen to you? When it happens to you, it humbles your heart. You're like, why would God do that? Because of grace, where he blesses you and you totally don't deserve it. That's the God you serve. That's the God who's real. That God wants to forgive people. He's not just trying to get you and wanting to send people to hell. He wants to forgive people. He doesn't want to punish people. He does not. That's the message he wanted them to hear. He wanted them to hear a message that God is for you. And guess what? The reason why I'm preaching to you right now, this is Stephen talking to the first century Jew. He said, because God is for you and he wants you to know and believe the truth. But there's another, there's another message to these same individuals where he's saying, I want you to know you need to be warned that his patience ends. And eventually, he hands you over to demons. Eventually, he will hand you over and allow you to experience the fullness of the demonic realm that we beg for in our stupidity. That the world tells you is success. 
The world, the world screams in our ears, no, being like demons, being evil, that's what it's about. Doggy dog world is about dressing in, in ways that just totally just denies the Lord. It's about dogging each other. It's about, it's about selfishness and consumption. It's not about giving. And then we buy into those lives because we listen to the stupid music and we watch the stupid shows. And we're hanging with stupid people who are preaching that stuff. They could have responded in repentance, guys. Guys, can I say, um, when I was looking through the text, you go, well, how, how does this, what does that do with me? Well, I thought to myself, man, some of us, we got, a, we got a God who's way too angry. You are just sitting and you're wondering, man, like, if I do this, this is going to happen to me. God wants to do this to me. And you, you're kind of walking around these eggshells. Man, you've almost kind of prostituted holiness. You don't, you've really messed up holiness. Your desire is to be holiness, but you become work-based. It becomes pharisaical. And so your God's angry because you're not perfect. So you're walking around and Christianity is not a joy. It's just this hard, hard road and I got to do this thing and I'm supposed to do this. And if I'm a good Christian, I got to do this. And it's so hard. And you're just trying so hard because you want your God to be pleased with you. And you want to be blessed. And you want God to do something as if that's how he works. You do something good. And he's like, yeah, I'm glad you did that here. Is is it's the opposite of the gospel? It's the total opposite. But what we see here in the text is God is abounding in love, and if the love is just pouring from Him, He wants to embrace you. He wants to let you know you don't have to work anymore. Jesus did the work. He's the one who paid for your sin. You don't have to. You don't have to now just put on a nice face and do everything right. But now being like God is a joy because He's made you like Him. Do you see the difference? We misunderstood holiness. And others of us need to be warned. We're, we don't get holiness. We don't like to talk about it. Uh, we need to be warned where God is saying, hey, I am serious about my glory. And I want you as my people. And I'm, I'm, and I'm coming before you as a king who can totally destroy you right now. You can die right now. And he's saying, but I didn't kill you. And because I didn't kill you, that means I'm still pursuing you. And in my pursuit of you, I'm asking you to turn from your wicked ways. I'm asking you to trust in the beauty of the history that you've seen before you in Acts chapter 7. And that you've seen in your life. The grace that God has given you. And now... To ask the Lord to give you the grace to enjoy holiness, to enjoy mission, to enjoy what does it mean to be his people. To respond. To respond to the truth, to his prophets, and not deny. See, I think our community has those same questions, and I think we got the answers. I think we got the answers. We can show our community, you can show yourself and be encouraged. That God, throughout history, he's a loving God. You can help people understand who God really is. You can start to embrace who he really is in your own life. And you can start to tell the world holistically who our gracious Savior is. This is who he is. Well, next week we'll figure out, we'll see what he does as our, one of our elders uh, teaches the scriptures and helps us see what happens with Stephen. But... I think it's clear that God makes a very, very telling case 
that God is good, man is evil, we need Jesus. I pray we will take that out to our community and we would live that out in our lives. Let me uh, bring up tithing offering. If you are new to our uh, MacAv.